All right, welcome back to the Cardinal Zone podcast. We're taping this on a brisk Wednesday evening for August. It is awfully cold outside. We've had a long summer since our last podcast, and we have a lot to talk about. We got football season coming up, and we got the Badgers going to LSU, or sorry, going to Lambeau to take on LSU. And I'm here joined by two of our football writers, Andrew Tucker and Lauren Cox. How you guys doing? I'm pretty good. How about yourself? You have a uh, nice relaxing summer, I hope. Yes, I did. How about you, Lauren? Yep, about the same. You know, looking forward to getting back to some football. Oh, that's all we care about. <laughs> Smash mouth, hard nose, run first football. That's the only way we do it. So, we'll start off talking about the Badgers heading up to Green Bay to play LSU in their opener this weekend. Thoughts? Boy, it's, it's going to be a, a tough game for Badger fans. I, uh, I hate to be the, the bearer of bad news, but LSU is hashtag good, and Wisconsin is not. So, I mean, realistically, the Badgers will probably keep it somewhat close. I don't think they're going to get blown out, but I don't think it's really going to be a game that they have a chance of, of winning unless they go and play a nearly perfect game. Yeah, I mean, a part of me, this comes, down, this comes back to the decision to start Bart Houston at quarterback, because against LSU... You have to get a lead on them if you want to beat them, an early lead, because if they if they can keep the score tied or very close or keep an LSU lead, they just hand it off to Leonard Fournette all game, and, and that's how they just wear you down and kill you. But if you can score on your first few drives, then it forces their quarterback to have to drop back to throw more, and he's not a guy that has been able to be successful moving the ball down the field when the team needs him. He was very good early in the season when Fournette was setting records all the time and, and carrying their team to victory where he could just kind of you know, the occasional third and short he would complete, and he was more of a game manager. But when he's asked to come back from a deficit and, and lead his team, he's just not that capable of doing so. So you have to get a lead on LSU early. And Bart Houston's not a get-an-early-lead type of quarterback. I mean, he's much more of a, you know, you got to hand it off as many times as you can and, and sort of take the ball out of his hands for as much game as possible. But in, instead, you know, I, I feel like a quarterback like Alex Hornerbrook has a little more of that potential to work downfield and to add more to your offense, but Houston might be the, the quote-unquote safer option. But against LSU in a defense like this, I think you need a little bit something more adventurous that can a add another element to your offense and, and help you get that early lead to hold Leonard Fournette down. I'm going to disagree here. As I said, I think that Wisconsin would need to play a nearly perfect game, and I think that having a true freshman quarterback go out for his first game against such a good opponent would just be kind of a recipe for a few picks, maybe a fumble or two, and I think that, you know, you did say that they'll need to hand the ball off. I think they would probably do that anyways, even if they had a good quarterback, just because they've got such a depth at running back. So I would, I, I just think that Houston is, just a, as you said, a safer option, and you said that kind of as a, a slight negative, but I would say it's a slight positive. Although both are about the same talent level and neither are super impressive, so it doesn't really matter who you start, it'll, you'll get about the same game. Yeah, I just feel like if the Badgers, you know, so they say it's first down, they hand it off. LSU loads the box, they get a couple yards. And then second down, they hand it off, they get a couple yards. So you got third and seven. I would rather have Alex Hornerbrook throwing that third and seven pass to get yards. You know, if you need a third down conversion, I, I feel like Bart Houston, you know, when you need ten yards, he'll get you five. And when you need five yards, he'll get you five. And nothing more. And Alex Hornerbrook, when you need ten yards, he might get you 15, he might get you zero. You don't really know what you're going to get, but you have a potential for more. And I think against a solid team like LSU, you have to take some risks because you know you're a little bit outmatched. So you kind of go to you know to try and get a big play, spark something for the offense when 
if you know if, if they load up the box against the running game, it'll kind of look a lot like it was last year at times for Joel Stave, where you know everything's on his shoulders. Except now you've got Bar Houston, who has never started a game under his belt, even though he's been around the program for four years. Yeah, you know we're gonna talk about Hornerbrook and Houston a lot more later in the show. This game for me feels a lot in a, in a lot of ways similar to the uh, the Alabama game last year, where they you know started the season against a top SEC team in an NFL stadium and. You know, in that game, the, it was you know somewhat close in terms of the score at the beginning of the game, but Alabama did have a lead the whole way, and there was never a point in that game where I felt like, you know, wow, the Badgers have a shot to win this game. It was just kind of all downhill as soon as Alabama got the lead, and they just started handing the ball off to Henry every single play, and it feels like the same thing could easily happen with Fournette uh, coming up this weekend. Yeah, you know, you d it's smart to mention the Alabama game because I think that's a much more much better comparison. A lot of people have been saying, oh, well, you know, Wisconsin could have won against LSU last time, but that LSU team is much, much more different than this LSU team is compared to that Alabama. You know, the Alabama comparison is a, a solid one because, yeah, the strong running game, unproven to, to poor passing, great defense, good coach, you know. So, yeah, it, sure, Wisconsin might hang around for a bit, but I, I just don't see them being able to put up significant number of points against this defense. And generally the game plan is kind of the same. It's get a lead to make, to make sure that they can't just continue to hand it off to their star running back all game because they'll just wear down your defense at that point. And like last year, I think they were trying to get a guy like Jake Coker to have to carry the offense, but they couldn't keep enough of a lead and they couldn't, you know, the, the Alabama held on to that, you know, three, seven point lead for so long that the, the Badgers just couldn't find the end zone enough to have to force them to take the ball out of Derrick Henry's hand and just, you can't stop a player like that for four quarters. and. They did a decent job, actually, overall in that game. We were talking to Chikwe Abbasi at practice today, and you know, someone asked him about comparing this this game to that Derek, to that Alabama game and how what they learned from Derrick Henry. And he kind of said, "Well, you know, Derrick Henry had three really long runs, and on, on those plays we gave up our, you know, we missed our assignment and we didn't hold that gap very well, and you know, he got big chunks of yards. But he said, outside of that, we held him to like under three yards of carry on every other run, and we, you know, we we did a pretty decent job of slowing him down. It was just." Those big plays were enough to spring their offense to get enough points to, to maintain that lead to be able to keep handing off because you can only hold them to those small carries for so long and that's when he breaks off the big ones. So same goes for Leonard Fournette. Yeah, you know, I mean, Wisconsin did look good in that game, not to uh, to just go back to week one of last year uh, instead of looking forward to week one of this year, but, you know, Wisconsin looked much better against Alabama than Michigan State did in the playoff. So, you know, if Wisconsin can, and, you know, Wisconsin did do a pretty good job of limiting their offensive mistakes. I don't remember too many turnovers, and maybe there was, uh, I think Stavi threw one interception on. I don't have my computer in front of me, we can check that, uh, check that sometime later, but it wasn't an incredible, uh, it wasn't an incredible gap in, in the turnover margin, so if they can do that sort of similar thing against LSU, it'll at least keep them in the game, give them a shot. Yeah, so we've got obviously Leonard Fournette is the, is the big factor here, and you know, the Badgers have a relatively great defense when you when you step back and look at how they performed the last couple of years. But of course that defense, that great defense has always been under Dave Aranda for the last uh, last couple of years and now he's gone to LSU of course we all know this. So now he's coming back to Lambeau to play the Badgers in his first game as LSU's defensive coordinator. What's gonna happen? Yeah you know it's been it's been a, a real topic of discussion and uh, ESPN.com's Jesse Temple had a great article up I think yesterday uh, about about talking with Vince Beagle you know the defensive leader a guy that was very close to Dave Veranda you know on how he thinks 
the game's going to shake out. And what Beagle said is similar to what I've heard offensive linemen say, what I've heard wide receivers say, is that, sure, he knows about us, we know about him, but we've changed our offense a bit since then, we've changed our defense a bit since then, and certainly he will have changed his defense since then. So while there is that level of familiarity, it's not like it's some sort of thing where they know exactly what plays he's going to run at what time. You know, he's going to throw in curveballs, which is his specialty. I mean, he, he was well known for doing, like, strange blitzes and strange formations. So, of course, he's going to have, you know, some different stuff when he's got, you know, a different set of personnel. Yeah, and Beagle said at the press conference the other day, like, how he was watching an LSU spring game, and he said he could call out what play LSU was going to run before they played it on defense every single time because he knew Dave Aranda, what Dave Aranda was going to do. And obviously in the spring, you know, he's not game planning. You know, they're doing really basic plays. They're not doing any crazy blitzes or anything. But it is interesting that, you know, somebody like Beagle has such a firm understanding of that defense that he could even just watch the LSU game and say, oh, here, here's this play. Oh, this play is definitely coming next. But I think the big advantage, and maybe the only advantage that Dave Aranda has because of his former time with the team is that not that he knows what they're going to do this year, but he knows the specific strengths and weaknesses of every single player on that defense that was there last year. And I think, you know, obviously these players, they get better over the summer, but he knows what a guy like Dakota Dixon can and can't do with safety. He knows what Leo Musso does well and what Leo Musso doesn't do well. And obviously, you know, they're working on those weaknesses, but I think they're, Dave Miranda is a guy that knows his players very, very well, and I think he's going to be able to at least, I mean, he's not going to sit there and spend the whole week with the LSU offense, but I think he can tell... LSU offensive coordinator Cam Cameron, a few different things about, okay, do this against Vince Beagle, or don't do this against Chiquay, but make sure you do this. Or Soldier Telton has a tendency to always do this, so you should instead target him here. And I think that's where you could see a little bit of Dave Rand advantage, but from a scheme standpoint, I don't think there's much of an advantage either way. Yeah, uh, th that's kind of what uh, Les Miles said. He wasn't incredibly specific. Les Miles can be a bit of an enigma in, uh, in press conferences, but he said that Dave Aranda kind of gave like a brief outline of the players and the system, but he didn't give, you know, he didn't have an incredibly in-depth thing because obviously he hasn't been in the room for, you know, a half a year. But he did give, you know, like a brief outline of, you know, kind of the strengths and weaknesses of the players. So obviously Dave Aranda is a great coach, and in terms of, you know, what plays they're going to run, we don't, the Badgers don't necessarily have an advantage in that sense and vice versa, but obviously he's a fantastic defensive coordinator, so there is an advantage for LSU on that front. Um, so when are we going to see Dave Aranda as a head coach? Very soon. I, I'm, I was actually kind of surprised he didn't go to a head coaching job this year, you know, this most recent offseason. I'm surprised he went to a, uh, I, mean, I guess I'm not surprised when to see his contract is double what he was getting paid at Wisconsin, which is pretty par for the course. Wisconsin doesn't pay its assistants incredibly well. Um, but I, I, I don't know, I, he was getting buzz for some smaller jobs and and I, yeah, I don't think it'll be much more than maybe one or two years at LSU before he goes to a goes to a, a bigger job because their defense is going to be stellar this year. They've got insane amounts of talent. Probably this is probably the most talented defense uh, Aranda's worked with, even with how how many good players the Badgers have had the last couple of years. But they'll be you know at the top of the leaderboards in terms of you know defensive scoring, yards allowed, you know pass yards allowed, rush yards allowed, and some team you know. A, a Bowling Green type will come out of the woodwork, offer him a bunch of money, say you'll have full control, and he'll jump ship. Yeah, you know, his name was in the Minnesota job rumors a little bit last year, I remember, but they ended up just keeping uh, Jerry Kill, is that, is that yeah. the name of the interim guy? They ended up just keeping him and promoting him. So, I mean, he certainly his name is certainly out there, but when he got hired at LSU, the first thing that thought in my mind is this guy's going to replace Les Miles in the next couple of years. Because, I mean, 
there was a good stretch last year where Les Miles was going to be fired at LSU. Yeah. It was almost a certainty, despite Leonard Fournette having a fantastic season with some pretty incredible games. So I, I wonder if you know if LSU this year has top five defense like Dave Miranda can do. We all know it. He's got a better defense than he did last year. And he did that with the Badgers last year. And then maybe the offense doesn't quite do as well as, as you'd hope. And Fournette has a good season, but they don't win as many games as they should as a top five ranked team right now. Maybe Les Miles gets fired, but the, the decision makers at LSU were happy enough with their defense. Okay, Dave, you're still a relatively outsider, but you know the system a little bit, so it's more of an easier bridge for players when they move on from somebody like Les Miles, who's been there a long time. And you've got a guy like Dave that is absolutely ready for the job, and I think he's just waiting for the right opportunity. And I think he could see LSU as sort of that stepping stone to just, all right, well, Les Miles is on his way out, so maybe I'll just kind of get familiar with everyone and then take over the job next year or maybe maybe the year after, depending on how long Les Miles stays. Right, so maybe even an outside shot at the LSU head coaching job, which would be wild. Oh, yeah. After many years of being underpaid at Wisconsin. So, obviously, uh, obviously Dave Aranda's a big story in this game. The other big factor in this game, obviously, is the fact that it's being played in Wisconsin about where's Green Bay, like, four hour, three hours from here? Not I think about, about two and a half from uh, what I remember from my drive up there yeah, last season. Right. So, it's, in that sense, it's not the same as the Houston game, which was, you know, a flight from, from Madison, uh, whereas this game will have tons and tons of Badger fans, which we know it has an impact on the game. What are you guys seeing in terms of how the fact that this game is being played in Lambeau affecting the game? Yeah, I, I, I was not at the game in Dallas uh, a few years ago when, when they played uh, LSU, but I know that when they scheduled these two games, it was set to be kind of like a faux home and home, where it's still neutral sites, but one is closer to the other school. Um, I think that this, you know, being at Lambeau is a bigger advantage for the Badgers than being in Dallas is for uh, you know, Louisiana fans, even though the fact that Louisiana is very close. Um, but what I can say is, when I was at the Final Four and Kentucky played Wisconsin, you know, the, uh, the Lexington campus was, I think, only two, maybe two and a half hours away from Indy. And that place, it was a home game. It was an absolute Kentucky home game, and that's what it's going to be in Lambeau Field. It's a huge stadium, so it, can, it has the potential to get incredibly loud. And I think that that will, at the very least, you know, give the Badgers some sort of an edge. It probably won't be enough to you know, win the game on that alone, but it'll be some sort of an edge. And for the record, two years ago they played LSU in Houston, and last year was Alabama in Dallas. Okay, so I'm mixed up. Correct. Yeah, yep, you're right. Um, but yeah, I think more than anything, it's just extra juice for the players. I mean, obviously last year it was exciting to go to Jerry World in mean, the big stadium, but it was it was almost less of a motivator and more of a distractor than anything. But I think this year it's much more of just a motivation. I think the trip that they took in the spring up to Green Bay is going to help a lot more than they even realize. And that, you know, players have seen all of Lambeau Field now. They've all gotten a chance to go through the Packers Hall of Fame. They practiced on the, the, the practice field up there. I can't remember its name after a former Packer player, but I'm not a Packers fan, so I don't remember who it was specifically. And then, you know, they got to go tour the stadium and eat in the same dining hall that the Packers get to dine. So, I mean, they got the whole experience that they're not going to get during this weekend and, and during the game. And I, they didn't get that opportunity with Dallas last year, so they, you know, they get down to Jerry World and they see that huge state, the huge screen over their heads, and they see how huge the stadium is and all the glass and how fancy it is. And I think underneath those lights, they kind of get caught up in that and almost distracted from the game. But now, not only are you in a nice stadium like this again, but it, it's the Green Bay Packers, it's the hometown state. 
This is a lot of these players' favorite teams that they grew up pretending, you know, in their backyard with their Packers jerseys on, throwing touchdowns as Brett Favre, catching them as Donald Driver, whatever you want to do. And it's especially for guys like Alec Ingold that are from the Green Bay area. I mean, that that extra motivation, it's something that you can't you can't come up with any other way, and it's going to push them to just try that much harder and give you know that much more effort, a little bit more than it would for a guy at like LSU that's never been in the state of Wisconsin before, and it's just like playing in any other NFL stadium for them. Yeah, it you know it's funny you, you mentioned the uh, the drive up. If I had a dollar for every time I heard uh, Vince Beagle say, "Oh yeah, we took a long bus ride through the heart of Wisconsin," I would, I'd be incredibly wealthy. He brings that up a lot, which just shows how much of an impact that had on those guys. You know, to be able to uh, you know, go through the state and you know, kind of familiarize yourself with some of the city names. Uh, you drive past a couple of the other UW system colleges. You know, you, you really do get a feel. Uh, you know, kind of for what the state has to offer. And sure, there's a lot of guys from Wisconsin that you know know where Oconomowoc is, or you know know about the ins and outs of Waukesha. Or but, can pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, but for a uh, for an out-of-stater like myself and many of the uh, the Badgers star players are from, you know, California, Florida, Georgia. Uh, it, it, it's a foreign world, really, uh, so it's, it's incredibly important for those, those types of guys to kind of get that feel. And so the fact that they did get to go up there, they did get to see kind of where they're going, it, it does. It, it is an advantage. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that playing in Lambeau not only gives those guys an extra, an extra boost to say, wow, we can really do something special in this game, and it'll mean a lot for these home fans and in the stadium that we grew up watching and loving, for the guys that are from Wisconsin, um, and I also think it will make a big difference in terms of fan count for both teams. It's not easy to fly up from Louisiana to, uh, to go to a game in Lambeau, and it is pretty easy to go from Wisconsin, where everybody is a, is a Badgers fan, to, to Green Bay just for one game. Yeah, and you know, a lot of players have been asked about whether they're going to do the Lambeau leap or not, and it is a penalty, I mean, it's been told to everyone, well, it actually hasn't been told to all the players, but everyone seems to have known that it was a, it was a penalty, but we talk, like, we talked to Chikwe today, and he's they, they asked him if he can do the Lambo Leap, even though it's a penalty. He's like, it's a penalty? Like he did that classic Chikwe phase where he like yeah. turns his head and gets real high pitched. Like, he had no idea. And, and some players, you kind of get the impression that, no, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to you know, do that to my team and take that 15-yard penalty to possibly hurt us. But then you talk to a kid like Alec Ingold, who you mentioned it, and he gets this big smile on his face. And he goes, yeah, I don't, I, I don't, know, I don't know if I will or not. We'll, we'll see. And it, Anything that's not a resounding no is, is they're really thinking about it, and if they cross the plane into that end zone, especially if they've got a lead somehow like that, maybe they jump into the end zone just because you never get another opportunity to do that. I mean, the chances of ever getting that chance again would be, you know, astronomical. Yeah, you know, on that, you almost wish that this game was against one of those weaker teams that they play before the Big Ten season starts so that there's, there's a solid chance that they would get a big enough lead going into the, you know, third or fourth quarter that they're up 30 score a touchdown, it doesn't matter. Go ahead, run up there, get a 15-yard penalty. Who cares? I think the best-case scenario is Wisconsin's down by three with four, uh, 14 seconds left. Barton drops back, throws a long bomb to somebody. Picked they off. run as <laughs> they run <laughs> through the end zone as time expires. And then, and then, and then you do it. Cause it doesn't, it, there's no penalties after the game's over. And, you know, they ride off into Cold the sunset. playback. Sorry, Bart. I'll give you ten thousand to one odds on that happening. No, yeah, oh, yeah it's not gonna or worse. Although, although I remember my freshman year, uh, Jared Aberderis caught a long touchdown pass right as the student section was sit finishing up uh, Sweet Caroline, or was it Sweet Caroline? Yeah, it was Sweet Caroline. So it was. Uh, 
That was great. Dreams do come true. Dreams do come true. And, and you know, guess what we're trying to say. That was one of the things they did on their trip, though. All the players that wanted to did Lambo leaps in the empty stadium. So at least the they got to. stadium, right? Yeah. Yeah. So at least they got to. I mean, even somebody like Soldier, who's, who's not really from around here, he's, he got up there and did this big open arm thing, and I think that was a lot of fun for them. So maybe a few guys got it out of their systems. Yeah. A little different with fans, I'd say, <laughs> for a guy like Alec Ingold, especially. Oh yeah. So we'll move on from the game uh, about. Two or so weeks ago, you can tell me if I'm wrong, uh, we got news that Dan Volz was retiring from football altogether. Is that right? Two weeks? More like yeah, a week. A week and a half, maybe. Something like that. Split the difference. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously that has a big impact on, on this team. You know, the offensive line for decades has been so integral to what Wisconsin does um, from an offensive standpoint, and he was a big part of that. Obviously, he had the big injuries last year. I guess it was one injury that, uh, you know, injured two parts of his body, um, and he missed just about the whole year. And so uh, he was transitioning into a new a new position, am I right, that he sort of graciously gave up his position to the guy that took his role. Yeah, he was, he was you know, the center for uh, maybe three years, two or three two. years, uh, and then uh, he, after he got injured, um, Michael Dieter came in and played incredibly well last season, and so it was kind of... A question, you know, will will Dieter keep playing center because he played so well, or will Volts come back in? And uh, Paul Christ said that you know Volts would play guard and Dieter would stay at center. Uh, but then uh, you know we got the news that he was going to stop playing football. His knee wasn't really recovering correctly. He didn't really want to try and rush back and have potential knee damage, which it's it's completely understandable. You know, like guys, you know, like him and uh, you know Calvin Johnson. That was big news. Chris Borland a couple years ago was big news. You know, retiring early is, you know, sometimes smart for some of these guys that have, you know, nagging injuries and stuff that can last for your entire life. What's, you know, what's an extra three football games going to do, you know, in the grand scheme of things? So it's it's tough news, and it will hurt the Badgers' offensive line, but it's a smart move for him. Yeah, I mean, it was more surprising with Volts just because he's a guy that actually has potential NFL future in front of him. I mean, it's not like this is some, you know, lineman who's pretty good starter but not, you know, not NFL caliber. I mean, he was potentially a draft national pick. National watch list. Yeah, national watch list. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he he was a very very good football player, and and you know certainly that makes the decision that much harder for him. But you can't blame a guy like that, especially an offensive lineman that's carrying a lot of weight. If your knee is not doing well and you're trying to play football on that, that that's the kind of thing that you know maybe you get through the season with a bunch of cortisone shots, but that can mess you up for the rest of your life. And you know he's a guy that wants to be able to walk when he's 45, unlike some of the other former NFL players that you know, would play, pay, play through something like that and not be able to do it. Right. Andrew, you mentioned um, Chris Borland, which, you know, just putting those two together right now in my mind, it makes me wonder almost if Wisconsin is doing something right in terms of training on injuries. Are, are, are they doing a better job than other programs telling players that, you know, if you have a serious injury or if you are legitimately concerned about real injury risks, there is no shame in retiring and there's no shame in walking away from football because we all know it's a dangerous game. And of course, football culture is, you know, throw some dirt on it and stand up and spin on the ground and play your next down. But I think there is, you know, obviously with the sample size of two, it's, it's impossible to say if they're doing something different, but maybe there's a chance. Correct me if I'm wrong, Lord, but Walker Williams also walked away this offseason. He was a... Ironic. He was a... Uh, <laughs> Walker Williams was a, was sure it was a walker. Huh? Yeah, he uh, he did he did walk away from the game uh, as well, you know, due to injury risk. So yeah, it it makes you wonder. I'm not so sure. I think that other programs probably you know try to educate their players. I think it's just been a a combination of guys that have had you know tough injury stretches. 
um, in combination with that, that good training. And you know, if you want to add a fourth one to the list, Monte Ball has pretty well walked away from football too. <laughs> a little bit more than walking though. Yeah, that, that, that is certainly an understatement to say he, he chose to walk away yeah, from Let me put game. it this way, he walked intoxicated away from football. Yeah, it felt like, you know, uh, figuratively he was sprinting about as fast as he could. <laughs> he was trying to get off the field. Yeah, he was, he was pretty drunk while he was running though. <laughs> All right, we'll move away from immediate outlook and summer stuff onto the full season stuff in terms of, you know, we got a top 25 team poll, we got Heisman watches, we got a Big Ten season ahead of us, we got a lot of stuff going on. So we'll start with teams that you guys think might have a serious shot at winning a national championship this year. Um, you know, an easy choice is to say, you know, an Alabama, a Clemson, um, those are obviously teams that are very, very talented. I've heard the name Tennessee tossed around. I don't really believe that. Um, I, I, if I had to choose one, I think that Michigan has a great shot because Jim Harbaugh is just out of his mind. Who's that? He is a, uh, a former, former NFL coach, Jim Harbaugh. Former Bears quarterback, Jim Harbaugh? <laughs> oh, yeah. Former Colts quarterback, Jim Harbaugh. Former Saved by the Bell star, Jim Harbaugh. Oh, wow. Uh, so... He's just absolutely insane, and he just knows how to get guys fired up. They've had a couple good recruiting classes. They've got Jabril Peppers, who I think is probably the best player in college football, um, on either side of the ball. He'll probably play all three phases of the game, special teams, defense, and offense. Kicker, huh? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, a, uh, he's a top-tier kicker. He's, uh, Jul next. Julius Peppers plays at Michigan? Yes, the, uh, the, the Packers, uh, Packers. Yeah, I could have sworn he went to North Carolina, but... I wish you could be wrong there. Uh, he is, uh, he, I think he's just going to lead the team. They, they do have question marks at quarterback, but if, if I just had to guess, I would say, say Michigan. It's, it's too early to really tell, but I think that Michigan has as good of a shot as anybody. Yeah, Michigan was going to be the team that I was going to say, too. I mean, I just can't. I mean, with how much Michigan overachieved last year under Jim Harbaugh, now that he's got, you know, his, his recruits are starting to seep into the lineup and the talented players that they already have that he's making even better, I mean... That the Michigan won some games last year that quite frankly they didn't deserve to win just because the way he's able to pull that team together and, and help them achieve more than what they're capable of. So I mean, give him another year with all these players in his system. You know, they're starting to be more familiar. Not only is he and the coaching staff more familiar with what the players can and can't do, but they're more familiar with with all the play calling and everything involved. And I think even even with the loss of the quarterback, they're they're just gonna step right back in and be right in the mix in the Big Ten. I mean, you can't over you can't sleep on Michigan State or Ohio State certainly, but I mean they're gonna be right at the top in that college play, football playoff hunt with just the rest of the SEC teams and the Big Big Ten teams. And to be fair, they did lose at least one game that they did not deserve to lose against Michigan State. That's fair. And they were close against uh, Ohio State pretty late, if I remember correctly. That's not, I, I believe that's right. So we also got um, Florida State in the, in the top five, which is a team that I'm looking at because obviously they've been fantastic in recent years. And last year they were pretty, pretty overlooked for the most part. I think they had a, sort of a rough start to the season, but towards the end they really turned it on and I thought they were playing great football. And a big part of that is this guy Dalvin Cook, who I think might win the Heisman this year. Connor Cook, the Michigan State quarterback? Oh no, Calvin Johnson. That's what you Wrong. said. Wrong. That's okay. Dalvin. That's, yeah, Calvin Johnson. Yeah, and, and no one mentioned Oklahoma either with Baker Mayfield. I mean, he's yeah. he's one of the dark horse Heisman candidates. We'll get to later. Yeah, but. off air we were we were talking about Baker Mayfield and Oklahoma. They are they are not to be trifled with. But yeah, you know, Florida State is a team that I haven't really heard talked about in in that conversation. But 
You're right. I think that they do have, you know, they, they won the national title two, two years ago now? Three years ago? Twice in a row, too, didn't they? It was three years ago. No, no it, been, it was no, Jameis' redshirt freshman year was the yep. first one. Yeah, they only won that one year, but they were fantastic that year. I, I Most of that team's gone. They had Kelvin Benjamin that year, too. Uh, most of that team's gone, but I, Jimbo Fisher is kind of a wizard in the fact that he will just take these high-profile recruits and turn them into good players. You know, it's not every coach that can turn fantastic recruits into fantastic players. See Houston, comma, Bart? Yes. <laughs> four-star recruit. Only took him four years. I mean, one year on the bench one for each star. One year per star, you know? baby. That's what I'm saying. Start Bart 2016. It's uh, here. We'll be hashtag starting Bart in 2027. We'll see. So, yeah, obviously, Dalvin Cook is a big Heisman guy. Um, but we got a lot of other players on, on that list. We talked about Leonard Fournette earlier. You just mentioned Baker Mayfield. Uh, one guy that I really loved from last year is um, Greg Ward. From Houston. From Houston. Houston. Yes. I love the guy. And I, he, they, he missed a game last year, which they, they ended up losing, I believe, to maybe Louisville. I can't remember. But they, they def, it was somebody worse than Louisville, I'm sure. And I believe that was the only loss they had that year. And they would have gone undefeated otherwise because they lost that game by about five points. And Greg Ward is as close as it gets to unstoppable in college football, I think. I, I also am a big fan of Deshaun Watson. I think that he had a great year last year. Uh, he had incredible rushing numbers you know, for a quarterback, some of the best rushing numbers we've seen in a while for a quarterback, as well as you know, fantastic passing stats. And he, he was this close to getting uh, you know Clemson that national title, so it's it'll be it'll be interesting because I think that himself he Baker Mayfield and Leonard Fournette all have a very distinct shot at winning. It'll just come down to whoever does well probably in the last like two three weeks. And did, did none of you mention Christian Christian McCaffrey? Christian yeah. McCaffrey, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, holy crap! Talk about all-purpose yards. I mean, it, it, I'm sure it's tough for white running backs to win the Heisman, but. He's not even he's not even technically a running back anymore with how much he plays receiver and then a lot of kickoff return and punt return stuff. So maybe that'll help him in, in, in the race of, of sort of the stereotypes of Heisman past. But that guy can do absolutely everything. And if, if all if all of these guys stay healthy, I mean I don't know how you pick one. You know? If you if you wanna get Christian McCaffrey a Heisman, just send every single voter a picture of or not a picture, a video of that what was it, like seventy five yard touchdown reception he had against Iowa in the Rose Bowl. That was absolute oh, that was absurdity. That was, that was insane. He proved there that he has the talent to win the Heisman. I had forgotten about Christian McCaffrey. Thank you for bringing that up, Lauren. Yeah, I don't know how we missed on that one. Short white guys always get overlooked. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, I mean, well. clearly he's either Wes Welker or Julian Edelman at the next <laughs> level. Gotta, I mean, gotta be one of There's no two. other player he could possibly be. Maybe Danny Woodhead. Maybe, but I think he might be even a little too big for that. White players can only fit into a mold that's already been cast for them in the NFL. Correct. Apparently. All right, well, so that's you know, sort of a whole national outlook, but we also have to worry about the Big Ten because Wisconsin is in the Big Ten. Believe it they or not, are. they are still in the Big Ten, despite the fact that there's 14 teams in the Big Ten. And the fact that they play a Michigan, Wisconsin, Michigan, yeah. Ohio State, and Michigan they, State only. They don't only really matter. Good luck, everybody else. Of, uh, <laughs> the uh, Big Ten outlook for the whole season. So you guys talked about Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State. I, I agree. I think Michigan's going to win the win the Big Ten this year. Um, but I do think Ohio State's going to be in the mix, regardless of how well how good the rest of their team is when they got JT Barrett at quarterback. I think that Michigan State, we can't discount them. Uh, Mark D'Antonio loves when people overlook or just outright disrespect Michigan State. So the fact that people are really, really hyping up Ohio State and Michigan, that's just like, it plays right into his hand. I, I think that that gives them a bit of an advantage 
over the other two teams in the in that they're not you know considered the top dog. You know, and every year with the Big Ten, it seems like you're, there's always the oh, you know, which one of these teams could be the, the ones that sneak into the top? But this year, it really doesn't seem like the, you know, you know, like in years past, like oh, is this the year that Nebraska maybe cracks into the top four in the Big Ten? And you know, they they don't, but. At least they've shown some promise, and like even last year, is this the year that Wisconsin, and you know when they were undefeated for, I guess when they only had one loss after the Alabama game for a long time, and they were towards the top of that Big Ten. Is this the year Wisconsin cracks is this that the top? Year but Iowa can do it. Yeah, right. Iowa was ranked. I think they might be top fifteen. They might be seventeen. I, I want to say that they're sixteen, but I don't know that for sure. But I, I just don't think, I don't think Iowa or any other Big Ten team really is is on the same tier as the Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan. And yeah. Even I, I would put Michigan State like a half tier below just because same. I'm not sure. I, I don't trust their ability to put him to replace Connor Cook as well as I trust Jim Har Jim Harbaugh's ability to replace his quarterback. Right. All right. Well, in terms of uh, national landscape, we got a couple. That means six pick'em games this week because we have pick six. The, the Bart Houston ball? We gotta, the we gotta pick six. <laughs> the the, we'll call this the Bart Houston segment. Yeah. Please. No, so, I, we, we'll, we here at the Cardinals One Podcast are going to give Bart Houston a chance. The same well, way that LSU will give him a chance for you, one play. You will have a chance to give him a chance when you pick him his game. So we'll start with Oklahoma <laughs> at Houston. Pick him his game. <laughs> Oklahoma and Houston. Boy, that's that, going to be a good game. Yeah, Underrated. Is, is that at the same time that, uh, that Wisconsin plays? Because that would not. be a shame. I hope that that's one of those Thursday or Friday games. I believe games. it's a Friday game. That Thursday would be, game. Excuse me. That would be fantastic. I would, I would love to watch. Is that or NFL preseason week four football? I don't know. NFL don't, backups I, or two highs? You can watch Chargers players get injured. Ooh, hey, we'll join the club in Chicago. <laughs> Holy crap. I mean, so thank we, you for we, picking. We injured a player so bad that he started. To, he chose to retire twice. We've had the best player injured. Lions fan here. Twice we've had the best player leave because of injury and lack of winning. But hey, let's all just be glad that so you're our quarterback's in. Is that? Can I take that from that? Uh, that yeah. No, there? I, I, I would say I would say that Houston has a good shot. Um, I think that they. I'm not going to say that they're overlooked because we've had this discussion, you know, before off air about the fact that college teams aren't going to try, you know, really overlook. But I think that they will come out quickly. Tom Herman loves his up-tempo, get as many plays in offense as he can. And I think that o Oklahoma in the Big 12 generally doesn't play that style. I mean, they play, they play it with uh, TCU and Baylor, but it's not the style that they are comfortable with. And I think that, you know, TCU has beaten them recently, Baylor has beaten them recently, and I think that Houston will be able to beat them using that same formula. Yeah, I, I'm going to disagree there just because I really think Baker Mayfield is a legit quarterback, an NFL, a soon-to-be NFL quarterback that he's not going to be you know, a top-ten pick maybe, but he's one of those guys that goes in the second or third round and you know doesn't start right away but then can step in and, and become a starter later like on. Like Dak Prescott. No, not a Dak Prescott. I think Greg <laughs> Ward is a little bit more of a Your Dak Prescott. week one starter, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, boy. But, no, I... I I don't know, and I think Oklahoma's defense gets overlooked a little bit, too. I think that there's a lot of talent there, and certainly Houston is one of the better group of five conference teams in the country, but I just think Oklahoma is just a little bit too much more talented overall all around, and, and they're very well coached as well. I mean, no discredit to Houston whatsoever, and I think that's going to be a really tight game that is one of the more difficult ones to pick this weekend. Yeah, obviously I just raved about Greg Ward Jr., and I could have done it for ten more minutes, and I love the guy. 
and I really would love to pick Houston in this game. And I was sort of down on Oklahoma and Baker Mayfield all last year. Obviously, he's a fantastic quarterback, but I didn't. I held out for a long time in believing that they were one of those top tier teams. But they're a better team, and I'm taking Oklahoma. So next up, guess what? You got Bart going from Bart. Houston to Houston. Do you want to take LSU or Wisconsin up in Lambeau? I'll take LSU. Um, I don't know the point spread, but I would probably take LSU with the point spread. So considering we're doing a heads up, I will definitely take LSU. Yeah, I'm going to go LSU too. I mean, I think there's a chance. I don't think it's a it's an absolute lock. I mean, obviously it's never a certainty, but you know, some some people do think that the Badgers have zero chance, and I think there 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 is a possibility that. You know, this defense plays very sound. They actually tackle Leonard Fournette the way they struggle to do so at Derrick Henry. And then maybe their running game gets a little bit going and Bart Houston surprises you with, you know, because LSU doesn't have tape on Bart Houston. He's only played in a few games, so you don't really know. They haven't really shown on any teams what Bart Houston can do, so maybe they come out and try some stuff and it works. And there's always a chance, but LSU is, is certainly the conventional pick here, and I, I have to go there. There's, there's always a chance, but... A good defense with with Dave Miranda's slight advantage plus Leonard Fournette is a tough matchup. Awesome. So we'll head down to Texas where UCLA and Josh Rosen are playing Texas A and M. Yeah, this this one when we were uh, when we were looking at the list, this is one of the tougher ones for me, um, just because I'm not I'm not too sure what to expect from either of these teams. I think that both could end up having great seasons. I think that both could end up really disappointing their fans. But in this one, I would I would have to take UCLA. I, I don't really have any great reasoning for why. I just kind of have a feeling that they'll win. Uh, you know, I don't have any sabermetrics. I haven't you know crunched any numbers. But I, I just based on gut feeling, I'll pick UCLA. Well, sabermetrics don't matter. Let me get my calculator out real quick before I figure out which of these teams is going to win. No, <laughs> um, I'm I'm going to go with UCLA just because I'm a big Rosen fan. I think he's another future NFL quarterback and. In college football, a really good quarterback goes a really long way if you've ever watched a Wisconsin football game. So i, I got to give them a slight advantage just because the Texas – I mean, UCLA's had some, some certainly some up-and-down moments, but the Texas A&M program has certainly fluctuated quite a bit, and I don't feel quite as comfortable in their stability as I do in UCLA that I think is a slightly better coach team. Does uh, that Johnny Manziel guy still play for Texas A&M? Uh, he does not. I believe he plays for the, you know, the, the Cleveland Rehab Rec team. Um, I'm not entirely sure, but that that would be where, where my guess is he will be by the end of the NFL season. Well, Johnny Football. He'll be joining Monte Ball. Somewhere. <laughs> they're, they're having their own party. Those two could party like no one's no business. Well, that's all I need to know. I'm taking UCLA in this game. I just think they're, they're much better. Uh, Josh Rosen is really something else. Try and be original next time, please. Well, I'll try on this one because we got uh, number 18, Georgia, and I believe number 22, UNC. This, this will be, it'll be interesting to see if Nick Chubb uh, goes for the nice. hype. He, uh, he's been pretty hyped up. You know, a lot of people thought that he looked great uh, replacing Gurley uh, a couple of years ago. And it, it, he got injured last year, did he not? Yes. So it'll be interesting to see if he can have a full, a good full season. I, I, I'd probably side with Georgia in this game, but I think that Nick Chubb is kind of a player to watch because he could be kind of a dark horse, uh, a dark horse Heisman guy. As he did well. have some incredible games. Yeah, he has year. some really incredible games. If he's if he's anywhere near a hundred percent, I got to give it to Georgia too. I mean, when he is on, he is on, and he, I mean, he has that Leonard Fournette like game changing ability in this league. And I just feel like he's had a whole he's had more than a whole off season to recover since the injury happened during the during the season. And if he and I, I think there was something where he was he like sprained an ankle or something that was in a boot a couple weeks ago, but it sounds like he's hundred percent 
from that, 100% from his previous injury, and I think he's ready to go, and that Georgia offense is just going to run over their opponents. Well, Lauren, wish granted, because I fell in love with this UNC team last year, and I thought they were about this close to sneaking into the playoffs. Could they have... Uh, should they have beaten Clemson in that championship game? So I'm taking UNC in this game in an upset. He held his fingers very close, guys. If you, you, you couldn't see it, but they were very close. This, this, that's this great podcasting. Yeah. That's great it's, podcasting. It's this close, guys. Listen up. All right. Um, now we got uh, Wisconsin's bowl rivalry from last year. Uh, USC heading down to Tuscaloosa to take on Alabama. Roll Tide. Yeah, Roll Tide. I mean, Roll Tide. Well, you know, when you lose Justin Wilcox at, at USC yeah. and, and their whole coaching staff. I mean, but. they're 0-1 <laughs> without Justin Wilcox, so. Hey, that's true. That's a fact. So, I mean. Facts don't lie, much like numbers. Yep. Hashtag ESPN. Please pay us. All right. So, we're all taking the Tide for obvious reasons. That's a good team right there. And USC is... Yeah, they're not great. They're not, I mean, they're not, they're not bad. Another team I mean, that's reason. had a lot of fluctuations. Yeah. They'll exactly. make a bowl. They'll end the season 8-5. and five. Something like that. But you, you always kind of left wanting more. Like, you know, someday Juju Smith-Schuster is going to be unleashed fully if they can kind of get somebody that can get him the ball pretty well. And, whew, he is really good. But I kind of feel bad for him. He's in that Calvin Johnson spot right now where there's a lot of, there's hope around him. There's talent, but... It's never been put all together around him. That's got to be one of my favorite all-time candies, the Juju Smith-Schusters. Oh, yeah, those are good. Is he uh, any relation to JoJo Fletcher? Recent, recent, yes, uh, actually. Yes. Oh. Okay, yeah, all right, yeah. great. That's I think they're cousins. Boy, that reference is totally lost on me. Yeah. I, I, I need to step up my bachelor game. I, I know that I know that Aaron Rodgers' younger brother was talking smack about him. Well, that's about all I know about bachelor. Yeah, what? he won. Wow, he won. Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, but he smack-talked to Aaron Rodgers on air. Yeah. That was, it was impressive. I, I read those comments, and I, I was... I was proud, you know. Terrible quarterback, though. Jordan or Aaron? Jordan. Oh, man. Aaron's not great either. Oh, yeah, that Aaron guy, <laughs> he sucks. Scrub. He's never done anything Scrub. good. All right, all right, we'll wrap it up with Ole Miss, which is heading down to take on FPI number one ranked Florida State University and Dalvin Cook. I apparently agree with the FPI then, because I think that Florida State will definitely beat Ole Miss. Yeah, you know, I, there's a lot to like about Ole Miss, but Florida State, especially under Jimbo Fisher, they're always, no matter who they lose, they always have the replacement for them, ready to go. And I, I just can't see them losing the season opener this year as they you know, continue to be one of those dark horse national contenders. Yeah, I talked about Florida State earlier in the, in the show, and obviously I think they're going to be fantastic this year. So I'm picking them this week. That's about all we got for this week's edition of the Cardinal Zone podcast. So we're going to wrap it up there and head to our TV sets in my case or to Lambeau Field in some other cases. Um, and uh, watch the Badgers lose, probably. But we'll hope for a win, and we'll hope for a uh, strong Corey Clement, strong D-line showing against Leonard Fournette. And you can find us on Twitter at Cardinal underscore sports. And that's it. As, as objective sports reporters, we are not hoping for a Wisconsin win. We are hoping for a, a well-analyzed and interesting game of football. Indeed. Have a great week.